0: revolutionary.org hardcore part. podcast coming your way. Steve Schmee here and the um, Mobster we're doing JD the Wadu episode 162.
1: What's up Mobster? How you doing, man? Oh good. This be going to know for a British slant today, guys, so there might be a little bit of slang in there and a little bit of the uh, UK scene so especially back in the day when JD was kicking it. So who is this guy? JD, one of the most
0: under-radar pro bodybuilders from the 90s and 2000. He wasn't in a lot of magazines, and he wasn't involved in a lot of marketing stuff like some of the other guys. He didn't place as high as other guys of his era due to that reason. So we see this a lot in other sports as well. You see people who are overrated like, You know, you'll see guys doing like five, six commercials and they're like average players as professional football players or basketball players. And a lot of the other players that are much better than them, they won't get these commercials because you're just not marketable. So I think he was kind of the same way. Um, One thing that was kind of cool about JD is he did play a small role in the movie The Fifth Element that was a a sci-fi
1: movie by Bruce Wells.
0: I don't know if you ever saw that movie, Mops. You saw it? Oh yeah, I've got it. I've got
1: it in my DVD oh, really? collection. It's a, it's a big movie. Luc Resson is the director. Yeah. One of my favorite directors as well.
0: I actually saw it when it came out in the theater. So yeah, uh, I don't remember JD being in it. So I'll have to rewatch it again and try to see if I can spot him in the movie.
1: But he played a small role. So yeah, go ahead. I was just going to jump in here. The, he's actually one of the henchmen of the baddie. And you've got the scene when the uh, religious guy turns up in his office and you've got all the muscular henchmen standing around. J.D.'s one of those first.
0: Yeah, guys. So check that out. If you guys are a fan of that movie, there's a lot of people who are big fans of sci-fi movies, especially around that time. So it was kind of a funny sci-fi movie. So it's really uh, worth worth the listen to if you haven't seen it yet. He was born in 1965 and he's also from Britain, just like the mobster here via nigeria was where his ancestors were were from five foot seven so he's about my height and he's 250 pounds ripped at competition and in the offseason a massive absolutely massive 270 pounds 270 pounds so let's kind of talk about his competitions at first i know mobster has a lot of stuff on him 1992 british championships he won four years later he went pro at 30 years old so he had a late pro in and you know he, he was late to be a pro he says he took time off to make adjustments so that's kind of cool uh late start he only had a short window to make a name for himself 18 major contests throughout his 30s that was when he was peaking 96 he was able to compete at mr olympia due to an invite but oddly enough he refused to go he wanted to qualify outright he ended up finishing fourth in several tough competitions And he was 17th at Mr. Olympia in 2001. So that was kind of cool that he had that type of mentality. Now, his best known features, his wide chest, tight waist, so he had that V, and he had huge biceps. So when you're 5'7", typically you have shorter limbs and you're able to build those biceps. Huge. And that's what he was able to do. Extremely dense body, but... It is said his conditioning may have knocked him down some spots in the competitions and prevented him from being at his top. So 2002 Southwest Pro, he should have taken first place, but ended up at fourth. His conditioning just wasn't right, right at the competition day. You've got to have your conditioning in top form. And even though he was the top bodybuilder there, everyone agreed he ended up getting fourth because of his poor conditioning. So uh, Grand Prix England, 1996, Mobster, seventh. IFBB Knight of Champions, seventh that same year. Arnold, classic, 14th in 2000. Pro Invitational Iron Man in 2011. Knight of Champions, 12th in 2000. So he was doing well all through. And then 2001 was when he got 17 at Mr. Olympia fourth at the Grand Prix Australia, ninth at the Arnold classic and fourth at the Ironman pro. So 2000, 2001 was when he really tore it up. So, and then the next year, Southwest pro, he got fourth Knight of champions ninth and then Toronto pro he got 12th. And then his last major competition was the Ironman pro invitational where he was top 10 in 2003. Social media, we're getting into this a little bit. He's His stance on social media, he's not a fan of social media.
1: And I'll bring in Mobster. I was just going to say a couple of things. This, we mentioned already he's got a Nigerian background, and it might be an argument here for Nigerian genetics, slightly thicker skin, uh, and they also tend to hold a little tiny bit of, or a little tiny bit of body fat, even when they're super muscular. I'm thinking, for example, very Uh, freak of freaks back in the day. Victor Richard was a Nigerian background. It's also worth mentioning, Steve, when it comes to competitions. um, When it comes to competitions, you're looking at less pro cards here in the UK. Uh, For one reason or another, especially back when uh, JD was competing, we have You've got competitions in the States right now uh, where I believe, for example, recent competition, one of the qualifiers for the Olympia was multiple classes, including wellness, et cetera. And I believe 120 pro cards was handed out back in the day, even at the competition that you mentioned already, which would be the uh, English Grand Prix. To get that, you might have had one pro card in the male open class for the whole year. Uh, as, as an opportunity so again that and what you also refer to this thing with him saying oh, of wanting to qualify for a competition rather than getting an invite proving of course that you are worthy we've had a few things mentioned with regard to the Arnold recently where you said if a person can't qualify for the Arnold how are they expected to do real well at the Olympia because if they didn't get an invite and they didn't qualify you know it, it, it's kind of like there's a you're not qualifying, you're not good enough, you're not good enough for this competition, you're not going to be good enough for the biggest competition. So him having the mindset back in the day is on point. I'll go back to you for a second with regards to social media, Stephen, then I'll jump right back in if that's okay with you on the social media. So he, he doesn't, he's not a, he doesn't have a big social media following. And
0: he doesn't like the limelight. He doesn't like to be out of center of attention, which is not surprising a lot of bodybuilders say I used to do a lot of theater myself and I'm not a fan of the limelight either So I'm not i I'm not on social media. Mobster has a very small social media. We just don't want to you know be out there We'd like to kind of stay underground. We'd like to do these podcasts and be underground. That's kind of the cool thing We have a nice small, group of followers you know who follow our stuff but we don't have we don't want to be seen by millions of people we don't want to be arnold we don't want to be the rock you know and and get so many followers
1: i'll jump in here for a second steve something you and i talked about in the pre-show and we've mentioned this as well guys it's well worth stating first off to get to a decent level in social media is work and i mean work when, uh, for example, one hour video on, on, on reviewing, say, for example, something like a burger cooker, a grill, a, 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 you know, a, a George Foreman grill. You, you, you're talking about something that might take you 20 or 30 minutes to film, but then there's two or three hours of editing, it's all the tagging and all the rest of that stuff. And something Steve and I have mentioned in previous podcasts, that it's not uncommon for people that do social media to not actually do it themselves. They will hire other people They will hire social media companies, specifically on Instagram. They'll work with uh, an instagram company again in terms of getting the numbers and the likes up and, and and adding followers and all that kind of stuff and i've used larry rose as an example larry i believe pays his videographer the money that's earned from youtube and then takes the money that's earned from the products that are mentioned during these uh, videos and the podcast etc etc and makes the money for that so it's in the videographer's interest to make the video as good as possible because he'll generate more income for himself so there is that. And I, have to, I suspect, which we'll get into in a little bit with JD, um, if it's not fun for JD, he's not interested. And, and we'll get into that in a little bit in terms of doing what you do with regards to this kind of stuff, Stephen, enjoying it. So as you start, I mean, for me, it's a job. If my mortgage is paid and my bills are paid, I don't have a mortgage that's been paid for years, then it's how much work do I want to do for that much more money? Do I need more money? No. I suspect JD, from one of the phrase, phrases, got his shit covered. And uh, so it was, uh, he just literally said, you know what, it's too much hassle, it's too much work. I don't want to put myself out there. So he doesn't. Um, we, we've, we've looked at the combined total of, of Facebook and, and uh, Instagram, just about 6,000 tops. Anyway, back to you, Steve. So let's kind of get into
0: the next phase here. We're going to talk about his nutrition, his training his mindset i'm gonna bring in mobster shortly to cover most of this but let me talk a little bit about what jd talks about in terms of rest so he believes in hard work in the gym and putting in the hours but he also believes you must get good quality sleep and rest so those muscles can grow so it's very very important good quality sleep guys and gals That's going to be the key to rest and recovery. That's when your body starts repairing itself at the cellular level. So if you're going and you're killing yourself in the gym, you're working your butt off. You're spending hours in the gym and you're only getting three, four, five hours of sleep. It's just not going to work. Your body, there's not enough time for your body to repair the kind of trauma. You're putting all that stress and all that trauma on your body. It doesn't make any sense so you really want to aim to at least seven eight even eight and a half hours of sleep every night consistently sleep is one of those things that i talk about all the time i've been studying sleep since i was six seven years old um, i was on an airplane when i was younger and there was a magazine and i was reading the magazine and there was an article about sleep and i just started studying sleep from a really young age i've been studying it ever since i've been obsessed. With sleep quality, and you see guys like Tom Brady, they sleep in a soundproof room on expensive beds and expensive sheets, expensive pillows, no sound, no light. There's nothing else in the room except the bed. That is completely what he does for his sleep. And look at he's still going strong. I mean, he's going to play almost till he's fifty. So I mean, this is very important in bodybuilding, even more important than than all these other sports because in bodybuilding you are trashing your muscles your ligaments your tendons everything is getting trashed and you need to heal afterwards another thing he he has he's very passionate about is about social media and he thinks social media is ruining the sport because people with a million followers and monster touched on this earlier they're posting their training online and not even doing the movements correctly so What it is, is, you know, it's not, you have these social media influencers and many of them are crap, you know, and they buy the followers, they do stupid things for clicks and they build a big social media following. And when you do that, you can start advertising for this supplement, for that energy drink. It's all the same shtick. Okay. And then you start putting up pictures of yourself with a rented Lamborghini and then you call up a escort agency and you get four or five women and you pay them each 200 bucks to come out and do a shoot with you in a jacuzzi it's the same shit with all these fucking clowns so he's absolutely right i mean it annoys me i know it annoys you monster but yeah. it, it just it's just for clicks and you know we're not impressed i'm not impressed with anybody who has to rent women to act like they're spending time with them and then you meet these people because a lot of them live in my in my area, you meet them in person and they're driving a Honda and they have a wife and three kids. And there you see them in the supermarket on Saturday afternoon with their wife and bratty kids running around screaming. And it's like, wow, this is the guy who drives a Lamborghini. This is the guy who's got five women in the hot tub, but, and then he, they're basically just frauds is what they are. So I I'm completely on his side on that. But on the other hand, you know, social media can be a positive. And I talk about it, in the article, if you guys read the article, you have to find the guys on social media who are motivational, positive, and actually know what they're talking about. Because those people are out there. And sometimes those people only have two or 3,000 followers. You see? You have to find those right people. And that's the people I actually you know, check out online. So, Officer, I'll let you talk a little bit about his training and more information about your thoughts on this.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what I'll, I'll jump in here, Steve. So, for example, the phrase that keep it real seems to be most appropriate here. Uh, guys, you can find examples of JD training back in the day if you search for ballistic, JD ballistic training. There's a series of videos probably off some VHS cassette back in the day, 15, 20 minutes at a time training different body parts. What's interesting from that, and, and it kind of echoed with me, both for the training when I was competing in my regular times Back in Gloucester, when I before moved up to where I live now in South Wales. And even the whole London vibe, which comes across. JD training at that time, and probably still is, in a very famous in the UK gym in London called Muscle Works. And the original Muscle Works is a hardcore gym. A big, uh, it, it, it it looks like you could take all the equipment out, redecorate and put it all back in. But they never have, they just put, this. Big fuck-off dumbbells, heavy rubber mats on the floor. Everything looks like it's been built into an extension. And then, oh, we've added a leg room. Oh, we've added this. It's not some super, super warehouse type place or whatever else. I never took the trek, and I wish I had. And what you get from the time there, which which I touched on with Steve in the pre-show, there was an element for me, and I think what comes across, which is basically if there's a serious group of you, and in the videos with JD there is, there's two or three pro bodybuilders in the gym or want to be pro bodybuilders as well in the gym with JD for a lot of the time. Maybe the fella that's spotting you isn't, but it, the camera pans around and he calls. He literally calls out two other guys in there. And then we're not talking about that kind of rival vibe that sometimes comes across. It's literally, there's my mate. He wants to be an ass-kicking bodybuilder too. He's doing his shit. I'll big him up. And everybody looks like they're having fun. Something that JD talks about, he says, training because you love it, competing because you love it, doing this shit because you love it. If there's some element of it that he didn't like, like the social media, he just wasn't going to do it. And in fact, the video that Steve and I refer to in the article and, and use as a reference point for this podcast is one where he's hitting up a, a, another buddy from that time, Eddie Abue, who was funny enough, just outside of London. Eddie's still involved, and in fact, a, 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 a mate of mine, refers to ready for certain amounts of advice, et cetera. So keeping it old school, keeping it basic, keeping it on point. But the back and forth, the banter between these two guys, which seems to come across with some of the UK bodybuilders when you're on the American uh, media, RX Muscle, MD, et cetera, et cetera. There's a, and even with Steve and I, when we're at the end of these podcasts, we do off air, there's a bit of banter. There's a, there's a kind of fun and enjoying what you're doing aspect to it. And perhaps that's been lost somewhat in the more uh, social media motivated and uh, even more professional, hungry for every kind of dollar vibe, which there doesn't need to be. I'll get into the training now because it's something else that's interesting. But just remember, guys, when it comes to this kind of stuff, you're meant to do it because you enjoy it. If you want to compete and you diet and you moan about and you chose to do that shit. You chose to go on stage. You chose to lift weights. So fucking enjoy yourself do this thing because it's a passion and you like it right training jd i'm gonna specifically refer to this ballistic stuff you can see it for yourself and i've seen this a couple of times and i kind of wondered why some people do it but he explains in uh, with a voiceover uh, a little picture in picture voiceover where he says he's doing what appears to be partial range of movements he's literally just working the muscle through a certain range of movement. So, for example, the one that springs to mind right now is doing like an, an inclined chest. I think it's on some sort of hammer strength machine, and the arms are definitely not coming all the way up. And it's one of those things where you're probably seeing the work set on these videos. So he's got to this work set. The muscle's already fatigued, and now he's just working it for that range of movement that he wants specifically to aim for a certain development in the chest in that area. And it's one of those things you're only going to lock out or put straighten your arms at eight, six, seven, the rest of the, the reps are within a shorter range of movement. Um, lots of drop sets. That's a bunch of stuff on there. And again, he's probably coming up to a competition when he's doing his videos. So it's one of those things when you are, uh, as Steve, I've done drop sets. I'm Steve's have, even though I trained for strength, I've done drop sets in the past. It is, especially if you're in competition mode and you're dieting down for competition, fucking horrible to do on a regular basis when steve talks about the net sleep and recovery he's not kidding because you really are trying to get into that kind of place where you are tearing down as much muscle fiber or simulating as much growth as you possibly can and it's just not a nice thing to do and it's one of those kind of things unless you're using real light weights which jd is not these is, is not massive stupid crazy 200 pound dumbbells or whatever but certainly when, you know, uh, we're talking 11, 12 plates a side on the leg press with 25 kilogram plates. So it's five, 600 kilograms, and it, which is 12, 1300 pounds for your American guys. And there's the, constant tension on the quads, for example, three, four, five plates a side on these hammer machines, constant tension on the pecs, and then taking a couple of plates off and doing more reps when you're all in fatigue. To do that again and again and again, and PEDs will, of course, help, and we'll get into that shortly that is really really hard it's really really brutal and sometimes uh, which is a bit of a shame when we're watching top professional bodybuilders or top professional athletes now there's sometimes a semblance of not this kind of training that you're almost it's it, 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 what we used to call uh you know the spray on oil and, and the spray on sweat that kind of stuff and, they're not, give, they're not giving you the stuff where the snot's coming out of their nose. They're not showing you the stuff where their eyeballs are bulging out of the head, that kind of thing. Back on the something else with regards to keeping it real as well. This goes all the way back through to WIDA. A WIDA was forever presenting back in the day this idea that the top American bodybuilders, especially on uh, the West Coast, we live in some great, crazy lifestyle. So a lot we've had photographs in the gym or you had photographs on the beach. And of course, there was always a girl hanging off your arm, and the guys were goofing around, etc. etc. And reality, of course, that some of those guys were living in camper vans in the gym car park. I can think of one body with a little slept on the roof, other guys would sleep underneath the boardwalk. So, and, and Tom Platts talks about sharing, I think uh, they had an apartment where he, because he was the competing bodybuilder, he got the sofa, but I believe he was sharing it at one point with 20 other people, you know, for how many dollars. And, 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 and like $10 a night or something crazy like this. So what the, the images that are presented to you versus reality. So for me, and I think Steve is like this as well, keep it fucking real. Uh, training should be hard, should be brutal, should be brief. You're gonna need to sleep because you should be fucking exhausted. Food can sometimes almost be tiring to do. It's It should not be made out to be less than what it is and sometimes uh, social media can kind of put a nice glow to this kind of stuff because you want to sell yourself you want to sell the sport and you want to attract sponsors but even getting a sponsor can be a job of work so we keep this stuff real we keep it real on evo we keep it real on yourself. this is called a hardcore podcast for a fucking reason guys so there's that element to it um i will talk about before we get into the PEDs, there are two more things. One, but well, three more things. One is back in the day, even when he was a pro, he had a day job. He never completely gave up uh, earning an income from something else outside the sport. And maybe they'll see another advantage for not having too much of a reliance on, even back in the day, at the beginnings of social media, which would have been around 1990 or so. Uh, and certainly up to the time when he was still competing, which was in the early 2000s. He says and I'll touch on this very quickly. He won't coach female bodybuilders and he addresses it specifically because of the extremes that we're seeing now in the, and in the video that we Steve referred to as a couple of years ago, the extremes with regards to diuretics, the extremes with regards to fat burners, DMP and thyroid drugs that we're seeing women, even when he's talking about that, we've seen worse in literally the last six months. If JD's is talking a couple of years ago, on an MD video at the extremes. And in the literally as this podcast has gone out, I think in the last two to three months, Steve, we've probably lost, and in fact, we're doing a podcast on someone else uh, soon. We've probably lost 12 names, perhaps 15 names for the sport. And the majority of those have been on the female side. And that seems to have come down, the general consensus has come down to the crazy stuff that the women are doing worse than the men. And the men, the men, Make up the majority of bodybuilding, so the idea that you know the guys are doing crazy stuff now—it appears to be the women are doing the worst and 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 damaging themselves. So he said specifically, he won't deal with that One more thing, and of course, PEDs are seen sometimes as a secret, but I'll address this just the same. jd talks about younger athletes looking for shortcuts, and on our forums and on these podcasts, we occasionally talk about the younger athletes that come onto the forums, and they're asking. For what drug that they can take i i'm kind of cold on this stuff and i come across in a certain way and i'm happy to do so 25 is it and for me 25 is as long as it's going to take you to learn your shit. that's nutrition and your training and your rest of recovery and you can sit down and research and research and research i'm happy you to do so but really you're not fully matured especially in your endocrine system until you get to 25. Now, you might be a genetic freak and maybe you mature earlier. I don't give a fuck. I can't be bothered rolling those dice. I don't know who you are. You're not posting up pictures. So unless you're a genetic freak, and we can think of a few, fuck it, 25. And JD talks about it specifically. He says he spent 45 minutes out of a workout when he was competing, him and another buddy that was almost around a pro level, 45 minutes out of their workout, talking to guys about training, talking to them about the stuff that Stephen and I cover all the time talking about rest and recovery, talking about nutrition. And he's all that time out of his workout, when he should have been training, should have been selfish, should have been concentrating. And when he thinks they've covered everything, the guy says, yes, but what are the secrets? Like, drugs is the be-all and end-all. So it was kind of an annoying thing for him. And it touches back on what we talked about before. He liked to train because he enjoyed it. The banter in the gym with his mates was real. The, the the drive to be a better bodybuilder was there because his buddies were in the gym kicking ass and competing. They probably went out for meals together. It's that sort of stuff that Arnold and that used to do with the gang back in the day. We seem to have lost. You might see it around the expos, you might see it around the big competitions, but typically you don't. And it's something that Pope JD's correct in thinking, and that is have a love for this stuff. And if your buddy's kicking ass, even if he kicks your ass, he kicks your ass because a judge said so, not because he said so, because a judge said so. But go out and have some cheesecake with this man afterwards and celebrate his win. Celebrate your second place, whatever. And don't take it personally, have some banter, have some fun. If Steve, I, if Steve me and I goof around something chronic after these podcasts are done, I'm 100% sure we do just the same. If we meet up, perhaps with Body Monster and a couple of the other guys off the forum, there'll be a lot of joshing, there'll be a lot of leg pulling, there'll be a lot of banter. And then we'll all probably go down and hit the gym together and put on a fucking show for our mates. And you know, let, the, let, the, let our buddies see that our fucking shit is real and we'll really, really get into it and have a good time. That's also the kind of vibe that we like to have over on Evo and for podcast. So We want you guys out there to have some fun and enjoy yourself. Let's get into the PED, Steve. Back to you. So over there in Britain, Monster, maybe we can talk
0: a little bit about it. It's, it's a little different in the United States. United States, we have 49 out of 50 states where – You know, it's it's illegal to mess around Mm -hmm. with steroids without a prescription. If you have a prescription, it's one thing. But without a prescription, it's another Oregon is the only state where it's actually decriminalized to use steroids. So over there, it's different. Um, And he was able to take advantage of it, J.D., uh, those laws. So over there in Britain, maybe you can touch on it a little bit. What are the
1: sterilized laws in Britain versus the United States? I'll address this real quickly. I think there's a kind of... I've had to deal with both sides of the coin here. I've done a a body power when an online buddy come up to me with a young lad. I'm talking about 12, 13 years of age, something like this. And I've always been open and honest. The only only person I don't tell or talk about it in front of is my mum. Just because no one wants their mum to tell them off, doesn't matter how old you are. So I don't do it for that particular reason. But pretty much everybody else I've ever spoken to, uh, uh, brothers, uh, my daughter, etc. There's a certain mentality because they see and maybe they respect you in a certain particular way. And I've occasionally had that. So if I go to a kind of health club type place or a sports centre type place over here, a fitness centre, what you similar to the, y, the YMCA type places you have in the states. Though and, and even what I would call the fitness market orientated gyms, and you've got Planet Fitness in the US, they tend to be a little bit standoffish about it. Ironically, because we talk about this on the forums, they'll smoke, they'll drink, they use medication, they will on an antidepressants, they di- but steroids. Whereas other gyms, where where people are more serious and more into their shit, and so the my local gym, Powerhouse Abidir, and 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 where he trained, Muscle Works. I think if you come across in a certain serious way you go there you get your shit done you're lifting big poundages if you're a weightlifter strength, strength athlete like myself or if you're a bodybuilder you're, you're getting ripped you're putting your time on the cardio you're, you're serious about your nutrition then it's more open that's not to say that you have to judge it uh, in terms of who you're talking to etc cetera, etc cetera, but i tend to find that people will gravitate towards me, possibly because of these kind of podcasts, how long I've been in the game, my size, my strength and so on. And so I'm I'm more likely to be approached by people asking questions, especially people that are closer to my age, certainly post 40. Um, In the UK, very quickly, right. So we have the same rules and restrictions you do in the US in regards to uh, posting or sending it across state lines and all that kind of stuff over here. So for example, if I sent steroids, to Steve and Steve lived in the next county I would use the Royal mail and if I use the Royal mail it's against the law I should not be sending stories through the mail on the other hand but perversely within the EU uh that I can go abroad to a country where it's legal for me to buy over the counter and I can bring that through customs and providing I declare it and pay my tax on it it's fine uh very very rare here in the UK on paper I think it might be true to say that um I shouldn't have steroids in the house and I could potentially be arrested for having steroids in the house. I could tell you maybe I can actually think of a couple of court cases that buddies were involved in where the amount of drugs that you're allowed to have has never been defined in law here in the UK, specific when it comes to steroids. And so no one has ever been properly prosecuted, prosecuted and sent to jail for having a reasonable amount of steroids on the house for their own use. It's the and distribution and specifically how it's distributed that will get you into trouble. And, of course, if you're selling it for profit, you're avoiding tax because you're not selling a tax man that you sell some steroids. So, yeah, that particular side of things. And, of course, again, it comes down to uh, it's probably the same as in the States. You're not having people that sell crack sell steroids. It just doesn't seem to work like that. You're not having people that sell meth selling steroids. Sometimes someone up the food chain is doing those two things together. But it's not people don't stand on street corners selling vials of testosterone. And we're not out mugging granites for vials of testosterone. And the UK government knows that, the, the the lawful authorities know that. So they're not chasing us, they're not kicking us. In fact, the only talk, I can only think of a couple of prosecution cases, and they actually relate to uh, the police or a member of the police using steroids. And uh, the one case I'm actually thinking of was a um, london met police officer came on up to south wales where i am and uh meeting south wales police young other south wales police police officers and and there was a there was a duty to be done and in internal affairs people arrested everybody and they all got uh, sacked uh, and, and prosecuted for bringing the police service into disrepute so they actually got more trouble with that than they did specifically for their users stories so it's there. It's one of those things that people don't like. They have to have their, their noses rubbed in it. But equally, we're not as bothered by it. And it's not as big a legal issue as it is in the States, as you say. We're not getting people knocking on their doors and, and trying to do each pill of Bowl is a count. It doesn't work like that here in the UK. And as then I said, specifically, uh, the law that kind of protects us the most is that possession and personal use is seen as next to fuck all. It really is. Because the law doesn't define how many amps of this you've got, how many volts of that you're allowed to have, or, or whatever else. You can have the, the few cases that I think of is where large amounts have been been found, but distribution wasn't proved. So essentially the prosecution's tried to come down to this, and he's got 10,000 Dynabol pills. And because no one could prove that they wasn't for his use, or her use, uh, the cases have fallen apart and have actually wasted money and time uh british government money or public money um prosecuting this particular person because if you haven't got proof that they're selling and distributing you're kind of screwed so it's very very rare and there's a lot bigger fish a lot worse drugs to chase people for so we don't worry about it too much that's not to say that obviously some people they're uncomfortable with the old idea of needles and they don't like you know you shouldn't have all your pills out on display and all that kind of stuff. That's about being responsible, of course, Dave, which I think applies no matter where you are. I don't care if you can buy it over the counter in Mexico or go to Greece and buy some some sort of loads of Zanivar over the counter for for the, for the originals back in the day, even for children, as it was sometimes prescribed to back in the day. You it's just common sense not to have this stuff lying around. And and it also is for me, and, and I think that still applies to you no matter what. People suddenly get this idea that the only reason you're big and the only reason you're muscular and the only reason you're strong is because of these pills, because of these tablets. So to go on about it too much, to have them laying around, would kind of negate the hard work and effort and and the sheer time that you've put in. So there's that element too. We might talk about this stuff at the gym counter, but we're not talking about it all day. You're not fist bumping buddies and talking about testosterone when you're out for a walk and all that kind of stuff because it takes away... From everything else we do and and that everything else we do is 99 percent of it steroids should be a little bit more on top anyway let's get on the actual uh, cycle stuff steve and on to you all
0: right guys so jd let's talk about what he would have ran around 2000 2001 when he was peaking and you know so we can go through some steroids around that era so one of the things they they started doing they started running more testosterone so in Britain, one of the more popular testosterone versions is Sustanon 250. Yeah. So three CCs of that a week would not be unheard of. Maybe even four CCs up to a thousand. Of course, he's going to cut it off ahead of his competition. It's a very long ester. So he wants to make sure a few, maybe about four or five weeks ahead of his competition, he's definitely going to stop it. And then he's also going to run. Along with it, 100 milligrams a day of testosterone propionate, that gives him a little more flexibility so that with the propionate, he can run it up until uh, 10 days to to two weeks ahead of his competition. And then he would stop taking it. By the time the competition comes around, hopefully almost all that testosterone is out of his system so he doesn't want that blow. He doesn't want the the loose look to his muscles. Another one he would have ran around this era is masterone. Propionate 150 milligrams a day, pretty huge dosage. Wouldn't it be surprising if you ran even more ahead of the competition? Now, Masteron is a DHT derivative, very cosmetic drug used in concurrence with the other steroids in a cycle like this. What it's going to do is it's going to harden up your muscles incredibly well, more than any other steroid. When I've run Masteron, I've gone to a massage therapist and she's massaging me and she tells me, she's like, look, I've never massaged anyone who had harder muscles than you. And I'm like, well, that's, that's the masteron." felt like I was sleeping on bricks when I would, when I would use masteron. Well, on, I just want to, yeah. I just
1: mm-hmm. wanna, I just want to jump in here, Steve. You sure that's exactly what she said or should you just mention how hard you was.
0: Exactly. It's just uh, like the Deshaun Watson <laughs> situation for sure. Yeah. That's it. Next one is Equipoise, E.Q. Boldenone is also what it's called. 800 milligrams, this will be around the time where they started messing around with E.Q. They went away from DECA. They shied away from DECA. They transitioned more to Equipoise. And then the next one I want to talk about before I bring in Mobster to cover the yeah. other drugs he would have ran was Trenbolone. So Trenbolone got popular in the 90s. Phenaplex, Parabolin, and then Tremblone, Acetate, 500 milligrams a week. Wouldn't it surprise me if they ran more. I know since then, the past 20 years, they've used Trembolone like crazy ahead of competitions. It is the king oh, yeah. of all steroids. If you want to keep up with your competition, you better be running Trembolone. So that's what these guys were, were doing. These are the main steroids that they were running. Different testosterone. Esters, Mastron, Equipoise, Tremblone. This was this, the main steroid. So mobster, tell us a little bit of, more about the next set of drugs and things that they would be using to help them in competitions around
1: this time. I'll touch on the train again, actually. I think this is one of the few things where we've talked about, and I mentioned in the previous podcast, how uh, sometimes there's this idea that different sides of the Atlantic, whether it's the Russian or the UK or the Americans are doing something different. And, and I said, in reality, there was, it was always like a sort of this idea that it was some secret that they were doing. And you could learn by buying this booklet from the back of a magazine. And as, as, as I say, I touched on that in a previous podcast. This is one of the few times when I think we was behind the Americans in that we kind of we would get some of that inside information, especially amongst the competitive guys coming back from competing in the States. And they would talk to their American buddies and they would find out what they were doing. But again, I mean, we, we've, talk, we've talked about 90s bodybuilders before, but, and the American guys got into a trend first. And when, even when the UK guys were using trend, I think we were using less. So the idea, for example, as, as a suggested cycle here, as a 90s bodybuilder like JD would use 500 milligrams a week of trend, we know that uh, as, as bad as the side effects are, and if you can't handle it, it's really going to be bad. It's not unusual to see a lot higher, even in the 90s, with the American bodybuilder. So I think the, the, the amount is kind of accurate in that it's less than a 90s bodybuilder like JD would have been had he lived in the States, had he been an American bodybuilder. So we were behind the curve in A, getting it, and B, in the amounts that we were using compared to what the American guys that have come across trade and then, of course, how much they were using when they were based in the States. So that's 100% there. But as Steve has said in many podcasts, Tren is, and I quote, of the king of steroids. It's kind of like, uh, sometimes it's slightly annoying that guys aren't ready for Tren are using Tren because they want to be in that kind of classification. But for me, Tren is one of those build your way up to it and only do it when you're really serious about your shit getting strong, getting hard, getting muscular, thinking of being competitive, looking like someone who looks like a proper muscular bodybuilder. And that's the kind of vibe for me. That's that's where it should be. That's what it should be about. In terms of the, the, the suggested amounts here, we're getting to the growth hormone. Again, lower than the numbers that we see nowadays, kind of around the number that you would have seen for a professional bodybuilder for JD. And again, of the time, which is a suggested 10 I use. It's still higher than 95% of our listeners should be using. I favor two and a half I use a day because you tend to have less issues with, excuse me, water retention or carpal tunnel. Slightly more than that. If you're a bit more serious about dropping body fat, and again, less used in conjunction with testosterone and other steroids, Uh, any higher than that. And you're gonna have the potential for side effects. There are ways of course of negating it that involves more drugs. I like to keep things real simple. And again, we're talking about a 90s bodybuilder here. So his cycle would have been kind of simple, but for competitive reasons, for being an in-shape bodybuilder, for the thinning out of that skin that I touched upon earlier in the podcast, 10 IUs a day in a, as a part of a competition cycle. Diuretics. Diuretics were 100% a 92,000 drug in terms of uh, rearing their ugly head. they hadn't really been something that was talked about. People would do stuff like dandelion root whatever way back in the day. And maybe a few 70s and 80s bodybuilders had touched upon this stuff. But you can look at the physiques. You can see when the differences came. You can see when that kind of grainy look started to appear. You can see when the skin got thinner and thinner and thinner from, say, for example, a bodybuilder like Arnold or Dave Draper back in the day versus the, the, the sharper, uh, drier guys that it started to appear in the nineties. So the level of directs and the use of directs become more common amongst the pros at that particular time. Letrozole, Steve and I have talked about this and it's kind of one of those histories of bodybuilding type things where we say, you can kind of see where the sports changed in terms of the directs, as I've just said, in terms of the more uh, virulent uh, tough to deal with, uh, fat burns, which we're gonna address in a second. And also in terms of the AIs. So for example, back in the day, Novodex was pretty much it. There wasn't really much of anything else around. And just because the amounts we're using were less, you saw less side effects, of course. Later on when those amounts went up, but the AI still hadn't come along in the way that they have now, you would see more bitch tits. You might see more water retention and so on and so forth. And so a drug like letrozole would have some came along. It would have probably been available to doctors for medical reasons prior to that. But the bodybuilders realized that they could use this to reduce the estrogenic effects of taking the steroids. To, to, to lean out, to not have water retention and hopefully deal with any bitch tips that they might have. Steve is way more of an expert, expert than I am when it comes to that side of things. And something which we've touched upon and again and we mention in this podcast all the time, DNP. Now, of course, as per usual, you get the warning whether you like it or not. We are not fans of DNP. We think it's a dangerous drug. And if you're a normal guy, nine times out of 10, even if you use it as described, and that doesn't always happen, and that's where the danger lies. Getting lean is fine, but a lot of the guys, and again, it's that nine times out of ten thing, a lot of the guys get back everything they had before when they stopped using the DP, and then they seem to add a little bit more. So if you, got, you had a lot of water and a lot of fat, and the DNP helped you lose it, you get all that water and all that fat back. If you haven't got genetics like JD, if you haven't gone genetics like a top pro, and your body doesn't respond in that particular way. It responds like an average man, a normal Joe, a typical guy that goes to the gym. DMP is not for you. And that's without getting to the super crazy, what the hell side effects. But unfortunately for the sport, such as it was 90s bodybuilders, specifically more, I would say, probably towards the mid to end of 90s, DMP and not mentioned here, Steve, uh, Newbone, which was on both sides of the Atlantic, unfortunately, Both those drugs seemed to come into the sport and both of those drugs ended up causing a lot of problems. Uh, One of the things that came off the DNP, which kind of came away from bodybuilding, was that it was being sold as a fat loss drug to normal people. And when they started importing this stuff in unlabeled, with zero guidance, uh, Ziploc bags from China and, and other places, that's when you started to see the stupidity of people doubling and tripling the dose when they'd never used the drug before, and that's when you would see, as we saw at that particular time, I believe early 2000s, when we saw deaths mentioned in the national press on both sides of the Atlantic. People would get this thing where they were already unhealthy, they were all massively overweight, they had no kind of fitness thing going on, and they were looking for an extreme way of losing this fat, and the recommended dosage, without mentioning uh that's particulars off the top of my head one number that springs to mind is 200 milligrams uh, for an average person but you need to look into this stuff guys if you are going to use it and again we don't recommend it so if someone there says well 200 helps me lose 400 is going to help me lose more but if you're an out of shape out of condition overweight obese person male or female and you double up on on a dosage of something that can already cause you problems then you're obviously going to cause yourself more problems. And I can think of two examples, both females, one one, uh, uh, um, Afro-Caribbean young lady and another one was uh, Caucasian. And in both, both, neither girl was massively overweight. They were literally just trying to get rid of a little bit of belly fat or whatever else, and they double up and they died. And it's one of those drugs where, you know, you don't get an initial effect straight away. You take more. Diuretics can do this and you end up with a situation where the, the drug hasn't started kicking in yet and you're taking more drugs because you haven't felt anything. And unfortunately you're just building up to a level in your gym, which become toxic or in their case, lethal, lethally toxic. So it's a drug that we don't recommend, but yes, I suspect that people like JD would have at that time and we're not saying JD specifically, but around that time, bodybuilders, UK bodybuilders and American bodybuilders, the EMP was there it was on the table. It would have been something they experimented with. I'm going to say now, Steve, I think I would probably get to my $10 safely betted and, and win the money back quite easily that there will be an awful lot of pro bodybuilders that would have tried it and an awful lot of pro bodybuilders that realise it wasn't quite the miracle drug that they're expecting it to be. So we've got the Mr. Olympia of the weekend, again, as this podcast has been recorded. Diuretics, for sure. But DMP, no. I don't think it's as common as a lot of uh, forum members across all the forums that uh, are involved in bodybuilding, think it is amongst the pros. Directs 100%. That's why you'll see a difference between the Friday and Saturday night shows with Open Mr. Olympia, for example. But you won't see, I think the EP was something that they all tried, and especially around this time, and some have completely dropped. Some may be literally in the last couple of weeks. But for my money, I think my $10 would be safe if I said some of the pros have tried it, see how bad it was, didn't really work for them. And it was, it was on the table, got knocked off the table. It was just not worth the effort and not worth the aggravation and not worth the sides. Unlike Trend, for example, with those horrible sides, you're still gonna get muscle. You're still gonna, have, I mean, Steve's touched on this and I shall ask him to jump back in. Steve, tell people what it's like with the side effects and how good and how bad Trend was. I think you said before, you said some of your best weights Lifted, we on trend. Your best muscle size was on trend. But equally, some of the worst side effects you had was on trend.
0: Yeah, and with trend, the first few weeks, you're like, wow, this stuff is incredible. By week four, you're starting to get those trend pumps when you work out. It's brutal. Not too much. And then by week five, week six, you're just like miserable on the stuff all day. You're But the strength and the mass gains that you get on trend are incredible. But it destroys – your cardio, your endurance. You feel like shit on it. It just feels like a nonstop dehydration. Just feels like you're dehydrated 24 seven. You wake up in the morning with morning sickness because you're so dehydrated in the morning. It's miserable. So same thing with DMP. Officer talked about DMP. DMP is just a miserable chemical. Yellow
1: yellow sweat. Yellow sweat, it, yeah. haven't have glasses of ice water with you at all time. Literally, the sweat that's coming out of your body, people, can be yellow. It's, it's The body is trying to get rid of the poison, and you're literally sweating it out. You feel like you're burning up from the inside. And we've trained, we've just said, you're going to get more muscle if you use it right. You're going to get stronger if you use it right. You're going to have those crazy pumps if you use it right. like these thing. DMP, to me, is just like, you just sit there. And do nothing and feel awful, and worse. At least again with a tread, you'll keep some of that muscle that you gain. You'll keep some of that strength you gain. With DMP, as often as not, what you lost, what was the aim of using it—getting lean, getting in shape—ends up coming back to you twofold. So all of that fat, let's so say you drop twenty pounds, you gain twenty-two pounds back on. At least when we take some steroids and we say go up twenty pounds, we keep five or ten pounds of the muscle tissue. Trends like that, d lots of these steroids are like that. With with, with DMP, for most users, it's lose 20 pounds, gain 22 pounds back after you stop using it. And that's why I'm sitting there, burning up, and leaking yellow sweat out of your body, Steve. It's just, just horrible drugs.
0: Yeah, it really is, guys. Sorry about the, the delay there. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and on DMP, when you eat a meal, a carb meal, you just go into a sweat. And um, it's a, it, it really is a miserable way to lose fat. And the thing is, you're crashing your metabolism so much that any fat that you lose on the DMP, you're retaining a lot of water on it. That's your body's mechanism to fight off, and you're having a huge drop in metabolism on the stuff as well. So what ends up happening is when you come off, the water retention comes out, and then you look really, really lean. That's your peak, and then your metabolism crashes so much that you start eating food as you've been doing, and you basically gain everything back and more when you come on it. So it's a, it's a, it's a crappy way, it's a shitty way to to lose fat. But guys, you know, guys. Especially in that time, they did what they needed to do to look good on the show day. You got to look good on the show day. They're not worried about their their intermediate or long-term, what they look like. They're not worried about their health. They call it the offseason. Any rebound and and fat gain, they call that the offseason. Then they they comp to get back into shape. And this is what J.D. was doing. You see J.D. in the offseason, he was up to 270 pounds. He wouldn't be able to compete at two hundred seventy pounds. So this is the way it works. It's a roller coaster. So you know that's that's the, that's what they did, guys. That's what we're telling you guys. He did. So, monster, finish out your final thoughts, and then give a preview of our next show, and
1: take us into the disclaimer. Okay. So one more thing on the regards to this cycle, guys. If you look at the numbers here, they're almost kind of reasonable, and uh, it shows you the difference between cycles back in the day, which is I tell you mid 90s here when i think jd with the 80s peak up to the early 2000s but certainly the early 90s which is kind of what i think this cycle is is a complete difference in terms of the numbers and the volumes and the number of products the numbers of milligrams etc so it's almost with regards to certainly contract those dmp and perhaps the diuretics almost a healthy cycle and especially for a pro bodybuilder Uh, my thoughts are JD and I'm thinking again of this video that both Steve and I refer to in the article and we did in our pre-show research JD did what he did because he loved it and that's what you should do I don't care if your thing is table tennis poker poker is probably a good example with regards to the gambling side you should enjoy what you do and you should do something like bodybuilding because you love it so some of the fun that you get should be from going to the gym some of that might even be BSing with your buddies down the gym and the vibe. What happens now, especially with the lifestyles that we have and the, and the stress and social media and work and, and the nature of work, especially with regards to getting down the gym when the gym's crazy or when the gym's empty. I'm able to go in the mornings, even when I don't train here, when I go to the local gym, but especially when I was at the local gym on a regular basis, going through the fat with the boys, it was almost a social thing for me as well as hitting the wax. and then when i'm in competition when i'm in that mindset especially back in the day for me the vibe amongst my buddies the vibes amongst the people that surround me especially if they're competitive too was on it was a good time and that's what jd talks about as well have fun with it have fun with your buddies love what you do so there's your message for it right what's coming up i've mentioned two or three times already it's Olympia weekend. Today is the Saturday, as we recall this, and tonight is the night show. Right now, we've got Rami and Brandon Curry going head to head. Brandon seems to be being the lead yesterday, so the next show will be a post-Olympia podcast. And we'll be focusing on Rami because he's the, hopefully, maybe, in my opinion, if nothing else, guy who's going to win tonight. Certainly, because he was last year's winner. So he'll be the focus, but we'll of course touch on the Olympia as a whole. So there you go. Right. As always, guys, you get, you get the disclaimer. Please note we are not doctors, and the opinions we do on this podcast are hours and hours alone. It's our view and based on the experience and views that we've had on this topic come from many, many years. Our podcasts are for informational purposes and entertainment only the freedom of speech and the First Amendment.